This is the Thursday Night Podcast, your source for news, analysis, and all things Georgia State sports. Because every day is Thursday. Hello, welcome to another episode of the Thursday Night Podcast. My name is Jordan, and I'm joined today by David and Brady. we got a lot of football news to talk about today as we ramp up toward this strange modified season. Uh, first off, it's looking like the Panthers are going to be moving forward with a 10-game schedule as Murray State has canceled their appearance with the Panthers, originally scheduled for the 3rd of September on a Thursday night as the Ohio Valley Conference has suspended fall play. So GSU is now slated to open on September 19th at home versus Louisiana in a Sunbelt season opener. Gentlemen? That's a real bummer for the Panthers. Um, you know, uh, let's move any COVID caveats you know, for right now and hopefully everybody stays healthy. But, you know, losing Alabama, you know, it's nice to go to Alabama and it's nice to, you know, play a bigger school. That's those are the types of games you wanted Georgia State to be scheduling. But losing Murray State, you know, you kind of your first home game. Your first, you know, they put it on a Thursday, and there's a certain fanfare and gravitas with that, and it's something that Georgia State has done um, in their history. Not last year, but you know, the years before that, they like to open those their season at home on a Thursday, and you know. I can say this out loud. It, Murray State is definitely a game that Georgia State's of the world need to always be winning. If you want to be in anything program, you don't lose a game to a Murray State. So, you know, if you're counting some wins and losses a little bit, that's definitely one that is a little bit of a bummer that you're going to end up losing, especially when you had a very nice um, out-of-conference uh, slate of games. It's never fun to lose as many out-of-conference games as Georgia State has already lost. So we got this in waves. Uh, first, the Ohio Valley Conference announced that they were moving to the spring, and the game wasn't immediately canceled, but it did kind of feel inevitable that later that day we were going to get the news that the Murray State game was going to be off because it really wasn't going to make sense for them to play on in September and be like, okay, see you guys in six months, Ohio Valley. <laughs> so when, when we got the news, it wasn't a shock at all because the conference had already announced their move. But I guess my first thought is it is unfortunate given that Louisiana is pretty fairly considered the class of the West in the Sun Belt, that that is now barring any additions to the schedule, the opening game, because they're going to be a tough out, even though it's a home game and all of it, that might, you know, the travel and everything that that might include, that'll make it harder for Louisiana. They're a really good team. And so now that's your opener rather than a team that you hopefully would win against. And at the very least, it wouldn't, it would kind of be on you if you lost it because in the, the games Georgia State in the past has lost to FCS teams is because they've underperformed or made mistakes, turned the ball over or whatever. And I think that Georgia State could do everything right and still lose to this Louisiana team. So it's just a different game and you don't have any extra time to work through kinks with your young quarterback, whoever ends up starting because it's conference play already. Game one is conference play against a good team. And there's there's definitely something to be said about momentum, you know, coming into 
a very important conference game. You know, let's say Georgia State blows out Murray State and then plays a good football game against Alabama. Uh, I mean, I have no illusion. Alabama, but you know, at least if they had played a good game against them, you know, didn't turn the ball over too much, and then just simply you know, played played about as well as they could have. You know, there's definitely something to say about going and hosting a Louisiana team after you know those two weeks where you win a game and then you know you play well against obviously one of the best teams in the country. You know that momentum obviously could carry you into whatever sort of season or whatever sort of success that you're going to have and losing that, you know, it's kind of, you lose that opportunity to really gain a big head of steam early on. And now you just have to go in and host a, you know, as you said, you know, probably the team that's going to win the Sunbelt West in Louisiana and you have to just host them cold Turkey like that. I mean, that's obviously a really big ask, especially because, you know, it's, I mean, it's the end of August. We still don't know who's going to be the quarterback. You know, there are a couple of other position groups that have some questions and, you know, while, yeah, it's nice that Louisiana doesn't have anybody necessarily to scheme towards, you know, that also could be a hindrance for the Panthers themselves. And I guess the other part of it is that, at 10 games, I personally don't see that changing. I think the schedule is set as it is. The only thing is, and obviously since we're recording when we are, the day after we record, there's going to be news about the schedule flipping around or whatever, but it is possible <laughs> still given that people are losing non-conference games and it's just kind of going to be an uneven schedule that the Sun Belt might be interested in rearranging some games. So all that to say, it's possible the opening game isn't against Louisiana, though I don't know how early or how late the schedule would shift around. I don't know what the goal would be if it might just be to not have a team playing that week of September 3rd and have another team like Georgia State not playing until two weeks later. That's my only thought is that they just might not want there to be huge gaps in what everyone's playing. So ready to get pipped by uh, the Sunbelt on that happening right after we've recorded a podcast. Uh, The other thing to say is that for now, again, everything is for now. Louisiana does have an opener at Iowa State the week before. So they will not be coming in cold. They'll have already played a game against a good Iowa State team that in normal years we'd be talking about, you know, eight, nine win, maybe going to a bowl. And so it's a little bit different than the Alabama game would have been because Louisiana is good and might have a chance, even though Iowa state is good and Alabama is just that tier above everyone else. But it is something that it is, they will be coming in having played a game and played a game on the road at that. I did want to say that the Sunbelt schedule is probably set, but if there is a game for Georgia State that'll be moved or that could be impacted, it could be the Eastern, the East Carolina game on October 3rd. Uh, as of six days ago, at the time of this recording, their football team paused all football-related activities because of some COVID-19 positive tests on their team. 
Um, they have not resumed activities, so I don't know if the American conference is canceling or postponing or anything, but that is something of note. Um, so there could be even more holes in the schedule for Georgia State that you kind of alluded to than we even know as of right now. Yeah, we're seeing a little bit of that happen where different schools are either announcing that they have had positive tests and are pausing. I think App State had that around the same time, um, and I'm not sure what's going to come of that. I'm, it's still too early to say any of these will cancel games or cancel seasons. And then there's other stuff where you've had coaches, like I think last week or earlier this week, times the flat circle and all. Uh, Oklahoma's head coach, Lincoln Riley, had said that he wouldn't say what position group, but he just said that a position group had been quarantined. Um, it was kind of like a wink, wink, like it was like they're on the field a lot together, wink, wink. And it was like, but I'm not saying what it is. And it was a little weird. But the point is, is it, it is affecting teams right now and precautions are being taken and everything is being handled right as far as monitoring this stuff. But it does seem like a real undertaking to be able to follow all the guidelines and keep everyone safe with a big football team and that are putting on pads and hitting each other all the time. So it definitely feels very tenuous. And we did have something in our midst the last week that sort of made national headlines. Um, freshman quarterback, McKeeley Colasurdo is going to miss this season because he got COVID-19 and when he got checked by the doctor about it, they found a heart condition, myocard myocarditis. I'm not a doctor. Yeah, I think that's and it. so he is not playing this season because of that. And it's, Definitely, we've seen this happen in a few other instances, but it was definitely jarring to see it happen with the school that I'm covering. It is. And, you know, I saw kind of the words that he put out on Twitter and he kind of did a little spot and spoke about it. And it was nice and refreshing to see him kind of mention his youth and mention his health and also kind of mention some of the that he made and really use his platform to warn people that, you know, you never know what can happen. And I think there's, I understand the desire to play football this year. And I understand the desire for people to, you know, want to return to normal, but I think we also do need in mind, you know, our lives are not being the ones that are being, you know, put at risk here. You know, I'm sure McKaylee was just, on campus, doing practices, you know, working out, you know, being with guys. And I believe that's the, I think there was a couple other positive tests in the Georgia state team that were not disclosed. Um, but I, I don't want to speculate on that or anything. Um, but you know, you never know what's, we still don't know a lot about this virus and there's, you know, obviously I hope that he's you know, was able to make a full recovery next year. Um, you know, and He's young in terms of football, so I think it was definitely a pretty long shot that he was going to beat out, you know, a couple of guys in front of him as far as the quarterback position was concerned. Um, but, you know, that's that is way on the back burner as it relates to 
obviously it's all about getting him healthy and able to, you know, yeah, everything that we've seen, or at least that I've seen on social media, has been that he's positive about his prognosis and that doctors think it's probably just a temporary thing. But, of course, uh, thoughts and prayers are with him as he deals with this and everyone else who is not disclosing anything. I think USA Today put out a survey, if you will, of Division One athletic programs that had tests. I think Georgia State had an 18 number associated with that but of course uh, athletics has decided that they're not going to report it at least not publicly so that must have been like a FOIA request or something but from everything that we can tell it seems like the school is at least trying to be responsible with how they handle things and they're being proactive about getting people treatment which is how uh, McKaylee found out that he had this heart condition was that the trainers ended up sending him to get checked out and then the doctors uncovered that so they were able to catch it early and everything so hopefully everything works out good for him but uh, to your other point David about uh, the football implications of this a lot of people thought that he was going to redshirt anyway just because you already had technically two players in the quarterback room that had seen game action in the 2019 season and people were speculating that maybe quad would have started game one and we would have seen what else would have happened after that but uh to my knowledge, he can still do very limited uh, workouts. He just can't do anything strenuous until he's cleared. So uh, I guess we'll see what happens as this season unfolds. Hopefully we have some positive updates regarding his health. But uh, yeah, it's just uh, a really good reminder for everyone that the virus isn't going away. And I think just uh, the other day as of recording this podcast, the University of Alabama reported over 500 cases within a couple of days of students getting back to campus. So uh, wear a mask. It's not going away. But uh, moving on past that, uh, just uh, recently, Tuesday afternoon, the Sun Belt released the preseason all-conference teams, and Georgia State had a couple appearances on there. Yeah, so the big ticket item starting off, Georgia State was picked fourth in the Sun Belt East, ahead of Coastal, and behind, in this order, App State, Georgia Southern Troy. Uh, and then the there were five players selected. Garge, Marius Gilmore was on the first team. And on the second team was wide receiver Cornelius McCoy, defensive lineman Dante Wilson, linebacker Trajan Stevens McQueen, and cornerback Quavian White. So I guess, David, start off with thoughts as it relates to GSU. The any snubs you felt any and just the general your thoughts on the placement of players i liked the players that were selected um i think the sunbelt has some really really good linebacker talent so i don't mind trajan stevens mcqueen on the second team i think if you really start to look around at some of the other Teams in the Sun Belt, you'll see that there's a lot of really, really good talent in that part of the field. Um, I'm not surprised by Quavian White's addition on here. Um, you know, he's entering, I believe, his third season as a starter. Um, you know, that I mean, that doesn't come without. You must be doing something right if that happens. I would have loved to see Aubrey Payne on here, um, or Roger Carter. 
Or Roger Carter. Yeah, I think snubbing some of the tight end talent at Georgia State is a little bit of a mistake. You know, Roger Carter is pretty much a lead at blocking. And, you know, Payne had some really, really good downfield action. Um, and I, I just think Georgia State kind of went a little bit away from the passing game last year. But he definitely is a, you know, all Sunbelt type talent. Um but I was, you know, I, the teams themselves, I wasn't too upset, you know, especially for a team that's expected to finish where Georgia State is. You know, having five guys and us being able to talk about, you know, at least two, three more on the team, like that's that's probably what you want. There's a bit of projection there. You know, that's that's fine. Yeah, I first off, Chimarius led by the block for the first team think he'll be there as we play out the season he's very good in a conference that has a lot of good offensive linemen uh i think it's possible in the same vein we could see a guy like travis glover or Blake sumter really any of the offensive line it's a good offensive unit that only lost one starter so i guess person who ends up sliding in for replacing hunter maybe less of a chance just because they're going to be newer to the position, but really any of the four returning offensive linemen, I could see working their way into these lists for the postseason. Um, Cornelius, very solid, expect to see more from more of the same from him that he's done since he's been here. Uh, Dante Wilson's the exact same, and this is his last go round. So looking forward to what he can do to show out for the NFL this year. And uh, same with Trajan. I was interested by Quavian as well, because I think that coaches also see some projection in him that he can take a step. And I think that him or someone in the the cornerback group taking a step as far as affecting the game is going to be important for the defense being better this year. And I absolutely buy it. I think that he's got all the talent. Uh, You saw with the game winning game clinching pick against army last year. Um, He's had some interceptions. He had one in the bowl game. Uh, I, I think that that is the one that is the most based on what could be to come. But I also think that definitely could. I think that he has got a high ceiling as far as we, what he can do for Georgia state on defense and ditto the tight ends. Uh, it's a Josh Peterson at ULM decided to come back after entering the portal. And so he was already a top tier Sunbelt tight end. So I think if he was actually gone and had transferred somewhere else, then a Georgia state tight end probably slips in, but him staying took away a spot because he's very good. But I think we'll see someone play in, in that position from Georgia state. I, I couldn't guess which, cause they kind of spread the love around as it were last year, but I would definitely agree. Don't sleep on the Georgia state tight ends. I, I did want to say one thing about uh, Quavion just quickly, because uh, you, you did mention it's a little bit about, you know, what coaches see in him. Uh, like, truthfully, if this is the year that Georgia State figures out, you know, what it's doing on defense, it's going to be because primarily it's going to be because White is tr- is capable of shutting down, um, which I think he does a good job of sticking with both. I, I don't want to say that it's all his fault or anything like that as it relates to those. Um, 
But, you know, I mean, the list is it's just chock full of talent. You know, I mean, even if if Dan was on this list, if, you know, let's say Dan had an extra year. Do you seriously think that Dan would crack this list? I mean, no, like the quarterbacks in the Sun Belt that are leading the way are just so good. And that, I mean, that's no slight on Dan or anything like that. It's just but these rosters are act for a reason. It's an all conference list. <laughs> but, but I didn't want to ask about. I did want to ask about your thoughts on the team as it relates to other teams in the belts. A fourth sounds bad in a five-team division, but is it that bad? Or I will say it's not unexpected. Uh, App State pretty fairly kind of holds the mantle of the East until they don't. I think even last year, I was maybe skeptical that they were going to stay as good as they had been, and they had one of their better seasons. So I'm done believing that they aren't legit, legit until they aren't legit, legit. And Georgia Southern didn't lose a ton, and I don't see a ton of volatility there. Whereas I think you could argue that Troy and Georgia State and also Coastal, there's a bit of volatility as far as that they could be, you know, three, four win team in a 12 game season, just to use that metric, they could be a eight win team. I think that there's a lot of bounce between those teams and Georgia Southern feels kind of the window seems a little less wide for them. It seems that they're probably starting on a baseline of a decent team and they could be better than that, but it doesn't seem like there's a real risk that they're a really bad team as as Georgia state people rivals, you know, if they have a bad season, I don't think we're going to feel bad for them, but I just don't, I think that's where it comes in is that when coaches are making these picks, I feel like that there's a lot more assured assuredness with a team like Georgia Southern and Georgia state hasn't put together back-to-back winning seasons in the short history. And it seems like every time there's a bowl win, the next or a bowl appearance, I should say the next season, Georgia state struggles. And with a quarterback battle, having to replace one of the better quarterbacks in program history. And with a defense that still hasn't really put it all the way together since coach Elliott's first year, there's definitely questions. And so I, I think that it isn't disrespect until Georgia state shows its disrespect. And I hope that coach Elliott goes in and is like, fourth we're, we're at bottom of the, the conference again and it's a little bit of motivation but i don't think it's necessarily surprising and i also don't think it's i mean <laughs> teams do better than expected every year in conference standings so there's there's no reason to think it has to go by chalk that makes sense i don't know like it just it seems like when you say Georgia State is probably going to finish fourth in the East, but that's a slight. Um, if you told me tomorrow that Georgia State is definitely going to finish anywhere between second or fourth, I don't think I would snap my head and look at you crazy. Um, and I mean, you're right. Like, I am personally am not as high on Troy as other people are, but you know, they've been there. They've, you know, they've got a lot of people coming back next year or this year, excuse me. 
if you're going to project and if you're going to kind of hedge your bet a little bit, I think it does make a little bit of sense that Georgia State is going to be behind them. You know what I mean? The East is a tough, it's definitely a tough division. I think the West, I don't think we're having this conversation if Georgia State is in the West because and it's pretty clearly Louisiana and then I'm sure Arkansas State's going to give them their best and make a big run for their money, but I, I truthfully don't see anybody topping Louisiana. So it, it just seems like a slight, but it, I mean, it, not all slights are that far from reality. I mean, football teams and football coaches are always looking for any avenue to get motivation going. So if the team treats it as a slight, I mean, that's fair because they want to be number one in everything. And so motivation, all anything come out of that for that sake is good. I just, you know, if you're weighing it, it, it preseason rankings don't matter. Georgia State was picked. Was it fourth or fifth last year and, and went bowling? So these can be wrong. And so I, I just think that you've got to kind of put in the, not just put in the work, but get the results year on year to get the benefit of the doubt. And I think that's just what it is. I just, the Georgia state doesn't have the benefit of the doubt in these coaches or whoever's putting together these polls for them. Um, going to be interesting to watch. It's really year on year, really fascinating now that we've got these divisions because the East should be fairly good every year. And it might be a matter of who steps up more than others in any given year. And Coastal hasn't gone to a bowl game yet or been bowl eligible. And so I don't know what I believe with them, but it would feel very sportsy if after all of this, that they come out of fifth and are the surprise team this year. But it is both a gift and a curse to be in the East because I think it is a good division of good teams with some regional rivalry potential and all. And then obviously with state and Southern and actual rivalry. But it obviously would be nicer to be in a division with one head dog and then three or four teams that you you feel more comfortable you could play with week in week out but i think in the long run being cutting your teeth in this east division is going to benefit georgia state because they're going to play these teams every year and continue to grow from that so the last topic we had on the docket for today of course is in the wake of all these other covid stadium policy announcements georgia state did finally release theirs on uh, the 25th and uh, you can check it out on the Georgia State Sports website if you're so inclined. But a uh, little bit of highlights from that. Uh, yes, face coverings are required. They spell out pretty clearly what is and is not a qualified face covering. No real surprises there. A lot of other schools that have announced have, I think, pretty much everyone I've seen has required face coverings and social distancing. Uh, but other notable things, digital ticketing only. This is a first uh, as far as I can remember that uh, Georgia State will not be issuing paper tickets. Everything will just be digital, online, mobile tickets. Uh, so ticket distribution, uh, I don't know if they said a specific percentage of seats that will be eligible to be allocated, but they did say that priority will first go to 2020 season ticket holders who have said that they're actually going to you know, opt in for the season uh, in order of pack priority points second georgia state students and then third visiting team allotments and in an interesting development no single game tickets 
or well, at least they said we don't anticipate having any single game tickets. So theoretically, depending on how many uh, how many season ticket holders and students are interested in coming to the games, there's a possibility that there will be very, very few visiting team tickets allotted. And of course, we don't know how many people are actually going to want to travel to Center Park Stadium, as the stadium, I guess, is now formally known. But uh, I don't think I don't think this year we'll see a Georgia Southern wrong shade of blue takeover of the stadium if they're not allowed to buy single game tickets. But uh, I guess we'll get there when we get there. Uh, other things, uh, the red lot no longer exists because there are now apartments there. So parking is more or less the same as it was previous season. But again, there's no paper things issued for that. It's all online. Then aside from that, they did go to a slightly different food and beverage service model to just kind of decrease face-to-face interactions. You know, if you have left the house since March, you've probably seen people, grocery stores, restaurants, and everything have put up these plexiglass shields everywhere. I guess expect to see a lot of those. They've kind of streamlined how the gates are going to work, where some of them are going to be exit only, and certain people can only go in certain gates. Now they have, I think, Gate 8, if I remember correctly, is the big one uh, at the corner of Hank Aaron and Georgia Avenue. It's going to be only GSU students, according to this document. Uh, Aside from that, they've uh, also canceled all tailgating on the property. So no tailgate on the bricks. Uh, I bet our friends at State of Atlanta are real upset about that. I know they always have a bunch of bunch of people out on their tailgates every week uh no panther walk and the marching band and the cheerleaders will not be allowed to be on the field period point blank whatsoever so uh no official word from either of those organizations about what they will be doing during games but i do know that uh at this time marching band is still existing it's still a class and they are rehearsing for something but i guess we'll find out what they're planning to do uh, gentlemen, do we have any thoughts about this? Do you think it's do you think it's enough in the wake of what we're seeing happening at college campuses? Do you think it's not enough? What, do you, what are your thoughts? Well, first off, I mean, there's no official tailgating, but any place that is doing college football, there's going to be someone finding a way to do tailgating just because if they're going to a game, that's what they're going to want to do. So until I don't see it, my expectation is... <laughs> I don't know what that rule does, except officially say that people aren't tailgating. But I don't know. I mean, it still seems a little bit weird to be having live fans when the world really isn't back to normal as it was before the pandemic. But I guess my only thought is that every indication from what we learn as we continue to learn is that outdoor venues or just being outdoor is just worlds better than indoor as far as spread goes. And especially if people are keeping distance and wearing face coverings. So it seems as responsible and thought out as this can be, as long as you're going with the premise, we are going to have people there, even though large gatherings are kind of not in vogue right now. So that's, that's my thought. I agree with your general point that about road fans. I mean, I'm a sh- I'm not sure what the numbers are, but I'm guessing they're giving a certain allotment to a specific group, you know, the other university. So it can mostly go to parents and such, I think. And then they'll weed out from there and get to other people. But you're not going to just totally stop visiting fans from coming but i think that there is a chance of it being where you can kind of control it and if it's like 
if you've got X number of Georgia State people that are there and it's decent enough crowd given that it can't be a full stadium, are you really just for the sake of money going to open up single game tickets so that uh, Georgia Southern can come in and socially distancely pack their side and make it a whole, like, I don't think anyone would invite that unless they're just, they need the money so badly. So I guess we'll see how that works out. Obviously money is important. And so the allure of getting people to buy single game tickets eventually to get in might be something, but I, I think there's, this is a way that you can kind of <laughs> control entry, which it seems weird and in normal years, it would just be totally unheard of. But in this case, it might not be a bad thing just because of the reality of where we are. Yeah. I mean, it's always a bummer when you can't, you know, even if it's the wrong shade of blue, it's much nicer to see, you know, a raucous crowd not cheering for my team. You still want to fill, you know, whatever stadium it is. So it's obviously a bummer that fans won't be there en masse this year. I hope that the student engagement is still better um you know if it's just students that are able to get tickets and obviously season ticket holders you know there's totally ways for you to socially distance and do that and like you said being outside is worlds better than being inside and hooked up so it's one of those things where you're kind of hoping for the best but being smart and i hope that's what most people do if they decide to come see a football game at Center Park Stadium this year. Oh, I mean, I can't obviously, we cannot make everybody wear masks and they can only do so much as it relates to in the actual stadium. But you know, if people act smart and if we're still going to have football and fans in the seats, then as long as everybody does their part, that can happen for as long as Georgia State's playing football this year. And the other part of it, similar to the tailgating, is that if you were having games but not allowing fans, then people would find a way to congregate around the stadium or they'd be going into bars to get people to put the game on or whatever. Like, It's a way of also making sure that people are doing responsible gathering for the game. And I think that's a problem you're going to run into. It Maybe some bigger schools that are going to have more seats filled, but it's still not going to be enough to have every fan who usually goes every week. And so that's something that's probably going to be a concern for sec schools is managing the inevitable gathering of people who get blocked out of being able to actually enter the stadium. But perks of Georgia state, not being at that level of filling out a hundred thousand seats every week is that that might be less prevalent, but it's still, if Georgia state says this is how we are letting people into watch games and we are following these procedures, it is probably a lot more than people would go to if left to their own devices, trying to find a way to watch. So it's, a, it's outside and it's a lot of effort being put into making this as safe as possible. So I think on all fronts, as far as that's concerned, it's a plus. Cause I think not having fans at all wouldn't mean that people wouldn't try and watch or get together with people. Yeah, I could definitely foresee a situation where with tailgating effectively being banned, large groups will try and either meet up at somebody's house or one of the local places on uh, Georgia Avenue or what have you and come up with some sort of way to kind of get around that. 
But uh, Brady, to one of your earlier points about money and the financials of not necessarily needing to sell single day tickets, uh, Georgia State, as far as I've been able to ascertain athletics, is more or less debt free, which is extremely good in the case of not having the ability to generate a bunch of ticket sales income in a year like this, which theoretically no one would have seen coming short of, uh, I guess, when the whole COVID thing just kind of exploded in March and April. So Georgia State's not in a position where they would necessarily need to get 15,000 people from Statesboro to drive up and take over the stadium in November just to make ends meet. Well, of course, you have you have expenses running the teams and you get funding from student fees and everything. But if you're debt free or at least debt neutral, then that's less of a stressor and you don't have to have the kind of the the two devils on your shoulder one of them saying well, okay well you have to you have to sell tickets even though you're possibly going to risk exposing people to this thing or you're not going to make your end of the year balance sheet well no if you're not in that kind of a position then it's much easier to make responsible forward thinking choices and put not only your teams but the fans and the stakeholders and everyone involved in the day-to-day operations in a much safer more conducive environment to promoting health, which I think is always a good thing. But uh, I, I do think we're going to see a spike in cases when, uh, at least before the next time the podcast comes out, because uh, school started Monday. And if Alabama can have 500 cases in a week, then uh, Georgia State, with a student population at least uh, theoretically in the undergrad on campus in the same neighborhood of size, think we will we'll see some cases i don't know if georgia state will actually go in and say that this is happening up front or someone's going to have to do a freedom of information act request again but uh we'll, we'll see how the season evolves and how the whole situation with covid19 changes and if there's any adjustments to this or not i i personally don't really see anything getting better until it gets worse it's just the reality of the times we're living in but uh guys do we have any other thoughts about this or is this a good place to wrap up we are certainly in strange, strange times. Just I definitely didn't, definitely didn't think in January that I'd a, a major thing we'd be talking about before the season started was just reading out the fan guidance for the upcoming year. <laughs> but such is where we're at. Yeah, I mean, I just I hope that we, you know, can continue. The the, the country is getting better, uh, supposedly. Um, so I hope that. You know, things can continue to improve and we don't have to talk about this, you know, as basketball season starts to creep up on us. Yes, that is still a thing, even though they didn't have a tournament last year. Um, But I hope that we can at least modify it in a way that still allows, you know, some of the guys to continue to play basketball, continue to improve their draft stock, continue to have fun and be a team and part of something. and. But until there's any word that any of that's different, gotta hope for the best. We'll certainly see. But uh, until then, and until next week, uh, this has been the Thursday Night Podcast. As always, it's a pleasure to have you join us each and every time we release an episode. Hopefully, we'll have more to talk about and specifically more positive things to talk about in next episode. But until then, that's all we got. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time.
Thursday Night Podcast is a production of ThursdayNight.com, the independent source of choice for all things Georgia State sports. This podcast and all included sounds are exclusive property of and copyright 2019 Jordan Crawford Enterprises, LLC, on behalf of ThursdayNight.com, unless otherwise specified. The podcast is produced by Programming Director Brady Weiler and Technical Director Jordan Crawford, with assistance from co-hosts Taylor Dynan and David Salmon. You can find the podcast on SoundCloud, as well as podcast aggregators like Spotify, Google Play, and Apple Podcast. To submit questions and comments, or to request information on advertising and corporate partnerships, contact the show on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram as at Thursday Night, or via email at thursdaynight at gmail.com.